Charlie Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Cheers, another outstanding card. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every week here on the show. And I'm your host, Ray Russell. And this week, going to jump back into the Universal Wrestling Federation, all the way back in 1986, which means going to bring back guest co-host Roman Gomez for the show here this week. But before we do that, just a friendly reminder that you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast and our sister shows like Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's Raw vs. Nitro as we chronicle the weekly episodic Monday Night War between the WWF's Monday Night Raw and WCW Monday Nitro. Now in the summer of 96, the NWO is formed, and we're trying to figure out who that fourth member just may be. And if you guys are into the wrestling aspect of the show, all of the cruiserweights coming in now, Rey Mysterio Jr. there, Psychosis, Ultimo Dragon has just arrived. Lots of good stuff going on over in the world of World Championship Wrestling. Meanwhile, over in the WWF side of things, Shawn Michaels embattled in a feud with Vader right now, plus The Undertaker and Mankind heading into that Boiler Room Brawl at SummerSlam in just a couple weeks' time. Plus, Ahmed Johnson just underwent emergency kidney surgery. We have news on that. Plus, we've just recently witnessed the debut of one Farouk Assad, Ron Simmons now, in the WWF. Damn! So all of that and more going on in the world of the Monday Night War. You can also listen to my show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, the original show here on the WrestleCopia brand, the granddaddy of them all, if you will. Currently on episode 96, I believe, is upcoming, which means we're getting close to that milestone. Episode number 100, right around the corner for the Grenade Podcast. And right now we're tackling the 1987 in the WWF Project in the fall now of 87 in the World Wrestling Federation. Just finished up the month of September. And next week's edition going to tackle the October installment of Saturday Night's Main Event. Featuring Macho Man Randy Savage taking on the Intercontinental Champion Honky Tonk Man. And one of the most compelling pieces of wrestling storylines ever told as we will witness the formation of the Mega Powers. And you can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. You can also follow me on social media. Follow me on Twitter, guys, at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade also. Follow and like me at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. In fact, just over the weekend, I was getting rid of uh, several old video clips from the 1989 NWA project. Uploaded a ton of them to the Twitter account. Go check those out. A lot of people having some fun there watching some old skyscraper videos, the SST Norman, the Lunatic, the Steiner Brothers, Sting, Funk, Flair, Muda, Lex Luger. Lots of fun to be had there back in 1989 NWA and tons of those little video clips now back up on my social media. 
specifically Twitter. And speaking of videos, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, guys. You can find me there at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade, uploading new footage all the time. Something like 500 videos now up right there on my YouTube channel and more to come soon. So stay tuned. And last but not least, now more than ever would be an extremely supportive time to become a WrestleCopia patron. You can find me there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from, but I only ask you guys to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. Includes all sorts of gifts for just $5, including all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes. We're talking pages upon pages of show notes for every episode of the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and the Regional Wrestling Podcast. You'll also receive early access to many of the podcasts here at WrestleCopia. You can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of the Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversations originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints edited right back into the show. But that's not all. you also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure. In fact, just dropped another seven digital downloads to Patreon over the last week, all focusing on the year of 1980 in professional wrestling. Just my way of showing my appreciation for the patience and understanding of my listeners and my patrons. But it doesn't end there, guys. You'll also receive my Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more, plus random bonus video drops, news clipping ads. You never know what I'm going to add there at Patreon as part of that all-access tier, and you get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. No subscription, cancel any time, show your support, give it a try for a month, and I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it, guys, goes right back here into paying the bills at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please, if you have a few bucks to spare, now more than ever would be a great time to get involved and show your support. If you're looking to support a new podcast brand that features quality content that not only informs, but also entertains, the annual audio software bill is coming up soon for me. So if you can, please consider joining my Patreon to help me pay some of the bills to keep the podcast network up and running for the months and the years to come. And now with all of that out of the way, we roll on. It's time to take you back in time to 1986 for Bill Watts's UWF. Right, guys, I'm not going to waste any time this week. He is the guest co-host of the Mid-South and UWF project here on Regional Wrestling. Come on down. Welcome back, Roman Gomez, to the show. Good to have you back, Roman. Man, I've been looking forward to this and enjoying the last uh, 
possibly days of not having a hundred degree weather here out, out in uh, out in the desert. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this recording this podcast and talking a little bit more about the Crockett Cup and whatnot. You know, a lot of people talk about heat versus humidity, and I will confirm I would rather have that 100 degree Vegas heat than the humidity here. Uh, in Ohio because uh, we've been out there. Me and my wife have been out there to Vegas when it's been 100. Yeah, it's hot, but I'll still take it over the, the humid nonsense over here. But yeah, I'm, I know it's coming. Uh, you, you guys have been pretty lucky so far then, haven't you? Because it's probably 100 before now, isn't it? Yes, yes. We've been lucky. Uh, we've actually had days where it's 10 degrees cooler than normal. And me personally, I've been lucky. I've been working in establishments that actually have the air conditioning on. And my mm-hmm. line of work, there's one facility that refuses to turn on the air while we're working until the show starts. So they that shall can make for some long summer days. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll we'll keep them. We'll keep their name out of it. <laughs> so we've been out there. It's it's pretty hot out there near the desert, but uh, it's always a good time out there in your area. Uh, Got to make it back out there soon. Have to run into you next time. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I'll take you to one of my steakhouses I go to. Uh, you'll I hear love it. you know uh, you are the man when it comes to. Uh, restaurants out that way so i look forward to that yeah yeah it sounds like a good time i like a good cocktail and i love a good steak so away we go (laughs) but uh i I guess everybody's here for the the meat and potatoes of the show they want to hear about the wrestling so uh if you're ready roman i guess we'll jump back into the uwf here in 1986 yeah let's go all right let's do it so here we go guys closing out the month of march heading into the month of april here fairly soon the Mid-South, now the Universal Wrestling Federation, and we have new champions across the board. Of course, the Sheep Herders have dethroned Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death as the tag team champions and injured DiBiase's throat in the process. And Dick Slater, he's lost both the TV title and the North American title without ever even being pinned. Slater, of course, giving the TV title to his good friend Buzz Sawyer and then Cowboy Bill Watts inexplicably screwing Dick Slater out of the North American title by tricking Dickie into having Buzz Sawyer defend Slater's title for him. Uh, convoluted, I know, guys. But anywho, Buzz's opponents in said North American title defense won Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And, of course, Hacksaw pins Sawyer for that North American title. So two-belt Slater becomes no-belt Slater on the same episode of TV. And that brings us to here, Roman, March 29th. UWF Television taped back March 16th at the Myriad in Oklahoma City. Jim Ross and now the president of the UWF, Bill Watts, hosting the show here. So Joel Watts finishing up his hosting duties, if you will, is part of the inaugural UWF episode last week. And I guess Joel not quite ready for prime time, at least not when they're spreading nationally here. But keep making those videos, Joel. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure we've got uh, plenty of music videos that are come down the pike, courtesy of Joel Watts. <laughs> so as the show begins, we're given more Crockett Cup information this week. We learn that the event, it, it's so big, it's actually to be separated. Two separate events in the Superdome. Both shows taking place on the same date, with the first show beginning at 2 p.m., second show at 7.30 bell time. And of course, it'll feature the 24-team tag tournament, plus the NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes, and a special quote-unquote surprise match, which I'm sure we'll get into later down the road. But right now we head to the ring for Steve Dr. Death Williams taking on Taurus Bulba with hot stuff Eddie Gilbert in his corner. Dr. Death going at it alone this week, DiBiase selling the throat injury from the Sheep Herders. In all actuality, 
He started a tour of all Japan on this very day, March the 29th, and he'll finish up there April the 26th before returning home to the UWF. As action begins, Dr. Death tackling Bulba down early on, but the Mongolian taking over on the offense until Bulba drops Williams to the mat, but misses a diving headbutt, and Doc back up to plow him over with not one, not two, but three football tackles, dropping Bulba before the Oklahoma Stampede. Going to end this one in two minutes and 29 seconds, and Doc looking good, as good as ever, but things not looking so hot here for the future of Torres Bulba in the UWF. No, he came in... uh... I don't want to say like a house of fire, but they definitely made it sound like they had higher expectations for him, you know, being part of Eddie Gilbert's family and whatnot, and uh, just didn't work out for Terrace Bulba. Yeah, certainly there were plans in place. They ran Humperdinck out of the territory, and he was the first guy added to Gilbert's stable, but uh, it's just not working out, as you said. And then up next here on UWF, Cowboy Bill Watts apologizing to us, the fans, for stooping to his chicanery last week. Only in wrestling, Roman, can we use words like chicanery, and I love it. But it was Dick Slater that needed to be put in his place, taught a lesson, says the cowboy. So, apparently it was Bill Watts' job to see that it happened? I'm not really sure. As we see a clip from last week, Bill Watts screwing, essentially Dick Slater out of the matchup, and Hacksaw winning the North American title over Buzz Sawyer. You know, wrestling, giving us words like chicanery, you can't help but think, uh, where else would you use the term, his face is a crimson mask and Katie bar the door? Lots of good wrestling terms that that you wouldn't use in in real life. Pure sixer, indeed. (laughs) So, oh boy, here we go, though. These things are becoming a running gag every week as of late, as Dick Slater has apparently called, you've guessed it, Roman, I, I I can tell what you're thinking, Yes, Dick Slater has called once again, guys, another quote-unquote press conference this week. And they need to bring this gimmick back now in 2023. A wrestler who just randomly calls press conferences wherever they, they are. Uh, surprised Dickie didn't call one when he was at the urinal, drowning Sting. <laughs> but, but in, in Slater's defense, if anybody had a right to call a press conference and, and plead his case, it's him for crying out loud. The cowboy really had it out for him. You're telling me, but I just had a visual of Slater holding Sting's face in the urinal while he's cutting a promo. That would have been interesting. <laughs> Anywho, that would have been great. <laughs> so we see Dick Slater standing alone here with the UWF TV title. Dick says the biggest ripoff in pro wrestling happened last week. And he's hot on Duggan's trail, who was given something based on a bogus contract. Dick says he purchased this television title belt. He had it made, and the TV title is his. Slater says he will defend his TV title here this week, on television, of course, against anyone who will step in the ring. And then it's back to Cowboy Bill Watts, who says there's another surprise coming for Slater later in this program. And you have to almost have sympathy for Dick Slater if he wasn't such a, pardon the pun, dirty dick. You do have to have sympathy for Slater. I mean, it's so obvious when the, when the head of the company is doing everything he can to make your life miserable. You know, I thought it was a bit much last episode, but wait till we get to where we're going today. Yes, yes. It, <laughs> it gets worse or better depending on what side of the fence you're on. You know, I, I kind of want to be on the babyface side here, but I, I just can't. I, I just can't. Yeah, yeah. Watts made it uh, 
little little overkill might be the right word. Like, come on, Bill, enough's enough. You know, you don't need a police escort and everything for <laughs> Slater. And we'll talk about what happens a little bit later. Right. So, but we head back to the ring for now. Tag team action up next. It's Buzz Sawyer and his new protege, Rob Ricksteiner, taking on the team of Ron Ellis and the future action, Perry Jackson. And Steiner early on with a belly to belly on Ellis. And then he tries to pick Ellis up over his shoulder, but the scared Ellis, he doesn't want to take the move, so he kind of holds on to Rick's leg, winds up hanging upside down in almost a, a pile driver type position. So what does Rick do? That familiar upside down spot where he drives Ellis into the corner, upside down, of course, uh, whether he wanted to go or not, it was happening. And here's a fun move. Steiner, he has Ellis on the top rope and then standing on the mat, Rick Steiner superplexing Ellis back down into the ring to pick up the win, one minute and 33 seconds. And Buzz Sawyer, he was in the match very briefly here, but this was the Rick Steiner show, make no bones about it. Uh, Steiner, just scary strong here, scary explosive, just downright scary. It was a nice way to showcase Steiner, and that belly-to-belly he hit, that was very nicely done. Yeah, it it was a fun little matchup, and clearly Rick Steiner coming into his own, now with Buzz Sawyer, and it's just going to get bigger from here for Rick Steiner. Yeah, Rick Steiner's got a bright future, and uh, we'll definitely see what what they have in store for him. Heading into a commercial break, the UWF returning to New Orleans on April the 6th, Lakefront Arena, Kids Free Day, with an adult ticket purchase, guys. Bring your kids for free. Unbelievable. One of the matches on the card, Tornado Tag, featuring the team of Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. They're going to be taking on Dick Slater and the Mad Dog, Buzz Sawyer. Let's listen to both sides. Boy, Hacksaw, it's a privilege to be out here with a North American champion. Thanks, Doc. You know something? I know there's no love lost with you and Sawyer or Slater. Neither one of them. Well, you know what? It sounds like we're getting down to the gridiron, if you know what I mean. A Texas tornado match. You know, right there where we got down in the pit. Down there. Everybody's ha- going after everybody. It's kind of like when you and me are down at the hockey talk. And I look over and there's a guy sneaking up behind you. And old Hacksaw, we don't wait for no invitation. We just get going. And that's what this is going to be. It's not going to be no fancy Dan wrestling match. It's going to be a fight. You understand? And when I have this man in my corner, I'm a little more motivated. He pushes me beyond limits that I normally go. Sawyer, Slater, you're in for a long day, tough guys. You know, you take the four nastiest people of professional wrestling, one's the reputations of hurting people, one's the reputations of getting the job done the way it ought to be done right. Now they want a Texas tornado tag. That means all four men in the ring at the same time. Well, Doc, you're big and bad. Jim Duggan, you're big and bad. But I got one thing on my mind right now. I'm a lot smarter than you. And this man right here... You can knock him down, and he'll get right back up and beat your brains in some more. Yeah, I'll just keep coming and coming and coming, you see, because we got something coming. We both don't care. We're both not all there. We both don't care what happens. We don't care. One, two, three. All we care about is putting you out. Out. Okay, there it was. DiBiase is out, so we get Doc teaming with Duggan instead. Two great friends who compare this to taking out a bunch of guys at a honky-tonk. Duggan says, this ain't going to be no fancy Dan wrestling match. Tough guy, you're telling me. Meanwhile, on the other side, Dick Slater says, the four nastiest men in professional wrestling about to get in the ring, but Slater feels he's just a little smarter than everyone else involved, and the heels, they're just a little nastier. What a fun matchup, a tornado tag with these four. 
and them saying it, it's like a, I forget how they phrased it, but like a, a honky tonk. Yeah, heading to the honky totally tonk. Picture, <laughs> yeah, you could totally picture Duggan and Doc, you know, taking on a bar full of uh, patrons and coming out on top. Where were camera phones back then? What a movie scene that had to be. I could actually see them oh dragging a guy across the bar. Oh, good times. Yeah, you know, the, on the <laughs> Tales from the Territory show where they talked about some of the barroom fights and things like that. Yeah, my gosh, that would have been amazing to see some of the scraps these guys got into back in the day. You ain't kidding. Uh, back to UWF TV here, guys. Dick Slater in Dark Journey now in the ring with that television title. Remember, Slater offered to defend against anyone here today. Well, this isn't going where you guys think it is. Instead, it's Cowboy Bill Watts in the ring as he asks for the TV title belt. I wrote, sigh. Just as I watched this, Roman, I wrote the word sigh on my on my screen here as Bill Watts again outthinks Mr. Unpredictable, getting Slater to admit that his word is his bond. Dick agreeing that Slater is a man of his word. And well, last week, Slater gave Buzz Sawyer that TV title. Do you see where we're going now, guys? Dickie said last week that Buzz was the new TV champion. And since Slater is a man of his word, Bill Watts will make sure that Slater honors that word and return the TV title to Buzz Sawyer. For those of you keeping track, this is about the 812th time Bill Watts has screwed Bill, uh, Dick Slater in the last three weeks. God bless you for and keeping you track. I, I, I couldn't do it if I wasn't watching it myself. Great cheap plug here. Head over to my YouTube, guys, because if what we're saying doesn't make complete sense, it's kind of confusing on TV as well from time to time. But head over to YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Been uploading these episodes in chronological order so you guys can follow along. It's been a crazy ride so far, Roman. But, yeah, go back. Go on, buddy. No, and, and you know, so, something you had said it, uh, on the previous podcast is that it would have made a little more sense had Slater actually done something to Eric Watts or if Slater had, you know, badmouthed Bill. But where is all this venom and hatred coming from <laughs> Bill Watts to just go out of his way above and beyond to stick it to Dick Slater? Yeah, over and over. And, 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 and guys, listen to this. He's still not even done yet, Roman. <laughs> I know it just, it never, you, you actually have sympathy for a heel. If you're playing along with the storyline and you feel like it's believable, what you're seeing is real. Like you can't help but think like, man, this guy's really getting screwed here. He's getting the short end of the stick week after week. So we know he's no longer the North American champion. And now it's reconfirmed Slater. Also no longer the television champion either as Bill Watts. Once again, has the police escort Slater out of the arena. And that's when I wrote in my notes, here we go, man, what does Watts have against Dick Slater? Jesus, doing one thing to him is whatever, I guess, but this is borderline criminal. There's got to be charges up against Bill Watts after this. And on the other end of the spectrum, when do you see a heel get the benefit of having belts given to him the way Sawyer has? Talk about being in the right place at the right time. He's you know, handed the North American title, which he lost, and then he's handed the TV title. Like, when does a heel get treated like that as well? So you got one guy getting screwed and another guy, another guy getting belts thrown right at him. Yeah. yeah so, so <laughs> show goes on, and we were promised this last week to no avail. Shame on you, Joel Watts. But here it is, and I know you guys have been waiting with bated breath for the Blade Runners working out in a music video set to Castle Walls by Styx, 
So they show Sting and the Ultimate Warrior working out in the gym, but they conveniently left out the preparation, Roman, with the steroid injections. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Phil Hickerson uh, agree, agreed with uh, Watts' the sentiment about that, too, with steroids. Well, it was the, the soundbite on last episode, I think it was, with Joel Watts referring to the Ultimate Warrior having the steroid effect, I believe was what he called it. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Show goes on. Actually, we're heading back into another commercial break here, and we're going to pick this up in just a minute. Colonel Buck Robley returning once again to Shilmore Super Pro Wrestling. This Friday night, April the 4th, and it's in Bogalusa, Saturday night, April the 5th. Highlighted by six big matches, 14 wrestlers and all. For you folks in the Ronger, it's the Texas Tornado, all four men at the ring at the same time. And for you folks over in Bogalusa on Saturday, April the 5th, it's Akbar and Robin in Arabian death match, each man tied together with an eight-foot strap. Such other outstanding stars as Kamala, Ugandan Giant, Tom Jones, the Oat Boys, Rasping 2, and many more outstanding stars. Be there! All right, guys, and I just want to make it clear, Super Pro Wrestling has nothing to do with the Mid-South Territory. It's an outlaw mud show, if you will. I guess you would just call it an outlaw or an indie show, I suppose. It wasn't really a mud show. These guys are trained after all, but Super Pro Wrestling here on this commercial, and again, go check it out on YouTube, uh, using the old Southwest Wrestling intro video with Buck Robley doing a voiceover here, promoting upcoming shows on April the 4th in La Granja and April the 5th in Bogalusa. Uh, six big matches, Roman. 14 wrestlers going to be part of the show. It's a tornado tag, main eventing April the 4th, and then on April the 5th, Evil Skandor Akbar in the ring, taking on Buck Robley in an Arabian strap death match, plus the likes of Kamala, Tom Jones, Ted and Jerry Oates, and Mr. Wrestling too. And I found this one comical. This not not so much the first commercial that we talked about with Robley, but this one I found far more comical because it was just a Southwest intro. We could see the word Southwest up there, but Robley's voice doing the voiceover, but there was no writing at any point on the screen. No info, Roman. No info about the buildings. No start times. No ticket information. Nothing. It's just, hey, wrestling's in this town on this day. Go find it. And this was long yeah. before the internet, people. I was just going to say, how in the world? Like, if, if that intrigued you, like, yeah, I want to go see it. Where do I go? Yeah, no ticket ask? information. Who do I talk to? No building, yeah. no time. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on. And some people, they love to give Buck Robley credit as a booker but he's clearly terrible as a promoter and the money Mark involved probably had no idea what hit him here. Yeah. I was going to say it. And then whose fault is it when nobody goes to the arena? You know, it's like, well, they didn't know where to go. Yeah. I have no idea what they drew, but we know Kamala's going to be back here in the UWF pretty soon. So he's not going to be on many more super pro wrestling shows. And as I said, looking and finding some results for super pro online uh, pretty quickly, you, you notice from the first commercial Half of those wrestlers are now gone, and I feel like by the next commercial, if there is one, uh, we're, we'll we'll see even more of these names drop off uh, Buck Robley's list. Yeah, yeah, it's just it, it was it's weird to see a promotion like that being advertised on a Mid South show, and uh, yeah, it was just kind of a weird segment. It's not something I would expect, you know, to see another wrestling league on one wrestling on a different wrestling league show. Yeah, buying that uh, commercial time, pretty smart of them in that New Orleans market. But man, I just I would love to have known how many people turned out for these events when we don't even know where they're taking place somewhere in a city. Unbelievable. Anywho, <laughs> back to, back to the UWF where things are done right. 
the rightful television champion, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. He's got Rick Steiner in his corner for the upcoming match, taking on Dave Peterson. And so Slater loses the TV title and the North American title without ever actually losing either belt. Meanwhile, Buzz Sawyer loses the North American title, which wasn't his to begin with, and winds up TV champion. Safe to say, Mad Dog having a little more luck here in the UWF than his buddy, Dick Slater, right now. As Bill Watts on commentary, clearly still upset at Dick Slater that he threw that TV medallion into the Arkansas River. So this is a little revenge, you have to think. Or maybe a lot of revenge, Roman. As Watts states on commentary here, if Dick Slater wants to play mind games, he'll be out of ammunition before he ever goes to war with the Cowboy, by God. So Bill Watts, he certainly has it out for Dick Slater. And even even if he is pissed off that he threw the medallion in the river... (laughs) Slater was nice enough to storyline, buy a new belt, and yeah, even I, had the name of the company put on there. I threw your $20 medal into the river, and I bought you a mm. $1,000. I don't know what they cost back there, but it, it was quite a bit more than the medallion. That's for sure. Yeah, and to have the name of the company engraved oh, on there, which B- Bill way. didn't even do for the tag belts. Yeah, they <laughs> were still called the Mid-South Tag Belts a couple weeks ago. So uh, let's not forget, there's a match in the ring, guys. Is the Mad Dog going to take on Dave Peterson here? And Peterson hooking a headlock early on that Sawyer just can't seem to break. Even after a back suplex by the Mad Dog, Dave refuses to release the hold. Always love that spot. But a second suplex finally breaks the headlock from Dave Peterson. Peterson, though, right back onto that headlock. It was working, so it makes sense go right back to the hold. Sawyer, though, finally breaking free and dropkicking Peterson out to the floor. Dave going to try to fight his way back inside, but he misses a dropkick. And the Mad Dog then takes over, grabbing a chin lock, but Peterson able to escape a couple times, but Buzz right back on top and in control. Peterson, though, finally firing up. He has Buzz reeling, but goes for a reverse crossbody, and Sawyer going to turn it in midair into that power slam. And Buzz Sawyer picking up the win here, 7 minutes and 28 seconds. And I didn't enjoy this one as much as that Dick Slater- Tracy Smothers seven-minute match from a week or two ago, but I like that Bill Watts has given the younger guys time to work here and get the fans familiar with them. Maybe they'll get over. Yeah, and, you know, in this contest, you figure Sawyer would be fresh as a daisy since he did nothing in his earlier tag match with Rick Steiner. It was basically all Steiner. But, you know, Peterson got in enough offense where it made you believe that there could be a slight chance he could win the title. You know, they let him get his offense in, and Sawyer showed his mad dog tendencies by biting Peterson's hand, grinding his face into the canvas, which Sawyer was known for doing. But then Sawyer took to the air with the leapfrog, hitting a drop kick. So Sawyer kind of showed his versatility in this match and uh, why he was so good at what he did. You know, he could be the mad dog, and then he could actually do some aerial stuff. Yeah, and Peterson, just one of the many guys who got their start, unfortunately, in the mid to late 80s. The territories were drying up, and they seemed to have potential, but they just had nowhere to work, and they never really made it, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I saw him a couple times in person, you know, at the showboat. And, uh, yeah, he, he was always one of those guys, you know, kind of like we talked about with Al Perez that had the look, lo- looked like they could go on and do something, but it just never really panned out. So, man, this guy does not quit. Buzz Sawyer picks up the win here, and then Dick Slater returns yet again. He's looking to retrieve his television title, but this time, Buzz Sawyer pulls it back. Sawyer not going to give the TV title back to Dick Slater. 
So Rick Steiner even stepping in here to back up the Mad Dog. Clearly, Slater not going to get this belt back if he has to go through both Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner. But here's a little transcript, guys, of the fourth grade conversation the two men have in the ring here. Slater (laughs) says something like, I'll take that television title back now. Buzz responds, no, you won't. You gave this to me and I'm keeping it. To which Dickie responds, come on, give it back. Buzz Sawyer's response, Roman? No. Unbelievable. Then the sad-looking Dick Slater stands humiliated in the ring as Buzz and Steiner leave with the belt. No honor among thieves, I'm afraid, Dickie Slater. So why do parts of this feel so unlike the Cowboys' logic I wrote here? Clearly, Ken Mantell, the new booker, being given some slack on the booking leash, you would have to think. Yeah, and poor Slater. Don't you just want to put your arm around him and, like, hang in there, buddy? Things are going to get better. You guys have got to watch this. through so much. (laughs) You've got to watch this conversation. Hey, I'll take that back. No, I'm going to keep it. But come on, man. Give me my belt. No. And then Slater just sulks. He just slumps down. It's like, can you get any lower? It's almost like DDP, if anybody cared, back, you know, when he, like, lost his uh, millions from the bingo and whatever, and he was poor and on, on the streets or whatever, WCW. But this, it mattered a little more here back in 86 and Dick Slater, and you just really felt bad for the guy. You know, and, and I had mentioned uh, a few podcasts back, like it would have been cool if they did something like, hey, I want my belt back, blah, blah, blah. And they did it, but man, they could have done so much more. I mean, he's dirty Dick Slater. How about jumping Sawyer when, when he turns his back to you? How about hitting him with the chair? Do something, but to see him sulk, like, it's just like, Come on, you're a heel. Do something about it. Yeah, very uncharacteristic of Dick Slater. As the show continues on, we get more hype for the Lakefront Arena show April 6th. It's Kids Free Day, guys. One of the matches on the card is going to see Rick Steiner. He's now Rick Steiner taking on Terry Taylor. Right now, we're going to hear from both sides. Yes, we're going to hear from the future Red Rooster. But first, we're going to hear from Rick Steiner and his new mentor, Buzz Sawyer. You know, it's really kind of funny to me. I don't take this business funny, but I take someone like you that is so stupid. You and Taylor go out there, I'm your second, you don't even have one. Mr. John Wayne in professional wrestling. Real smart, tough guy. Real smart. You know what would happen if we just threw you down and cut that pretty hair off? <laughs> what would happen if we threw you down and Rick Steiner right here got real nasty and he got me and you got nasty and what would that pretty girl look like? Taylor, you ain't gonna have no pretty girls after this match. Can you still be getting in the ring with me? It's gonna be all over with that. you Remember that? Look at it. It's true. Taylor. Come on, Taylor. See, I got him going. I got him psyched. I got him he has all the credentials in the world, but maybe he just didn't have the right direction. So when it comes right down to it, the guy had all the tools, but he didn't have like a rudder. He had all the power in the world, but he didn't know which way to channel it. So now he's got Buzz Sawyer teaching him the way to go. I'll never let it be said that Buzz Sawyer is a loser because the guy, no matter what, comes out on top, no matter what he has to do. And maybe that's exactly what Rick Steiner needed because the guy is an awesome physical specimen that could lift the whole gym if he wanted to. When it comes right down to it, this isn't weightlifting. This is professional wrestling, the toughest sport in the world today. And when you get tired and you get a little bit winded, maybe it's not so easy to kick out. Maybe you're not so strong. So, Buzz Sawyer, I know you're going to be sitting on the outside. And Rick Steiner, it's going to be you and me one-on-one. Rick Steiner, I'm taking you out. So the heels say they're going to make Terry Taylor so ugly, the pretty ladies won't want him anymore. And Rick Steiner, for the first time here, showing some real personality, a mad dog in training. You might even call him a a mad dog-faced gremlin. See what I did there, Roman? What a scary duo, Steiner and Sawyer. 
Yeah, yeah, that would have been great to see them tag more often and longer to see where that would have went, you know, because, uh, yeah, you, you could see it in Steiner, you know, even going back to his AWA days, you know, and he was in a, doing Pro Wrestling USA tapings, mm-hmm. Steiner had something where you could just see physically and the way he moved, like, this guy could go somewhere in this business, and obviously he did. Yeah, it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while you see someone and you can just tell, and Rick Steiner was one of those guys where you could just tell. Yeah, yeah, even as an enhancement worker, you could see there was something a little special about him. Then on the other end, we heard Terry Taylor putting over Steiner. He gives, uh, he gives Steiner all the credit in the world. He has all of the tools to get the job done, but Steiner, he needed a rudder. And Buzz Sawyer, he's a lot of things, but he's no loser. Makes Steiner all the more dangerous, does having the Mad Dog out there. Exactly what Rick needed. Yeah, and Steiner was... Uh... If he was smart, he was going to soak up whatever Buzz Sawyer had to say. You know, Sawyer had been around the been around the block a few times, and uh, Sawyer could have brought out the aggressiveness in Steiner, and we see that as the weeks go on. Steiner does wrestle a different type of style, and I'm sure it's part of it was uh, because of the influence of Buzz Sawyer. As we head back to the ring, the Blade Runners, the ultimate warrior in Sting, for those who don't know, heading to the ring with the manager, Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert, taking on Sean O'Reilly and Ken Massey. And it's The Rock, a.k.a. Ultimate Warrior, with a gorilla press and then sting in with a big splash on Massey. Going to give the Blade Runners the quick win, 1 minute and 31 seconds. Wisely, a much shorter squash this week for the Blades. Less to screw up here. Hides their greenness better for sure. You read my mind exactly. We were, we were talking about guys like Smothers and Peterson getting a little more time. With Sting and Warrior, they were so green, and it's a double-edged sword because, you know, they need time to get improvement. Right. But if they go too long, it shows how bad they are. And I put in my notes that I thought they looked a a little bit better, and part of it was because the match was shorter, and they didn't look nearly as clumsy. You know, I thought it's kind of a backhanded compliment, but yeah. Yeah, they, they, so because the match was shorter, they didn't look as awkward. So, you know, it made them look a little bit better. Well, you know, before when they were squashing these guys, they were essentially, I hate to use this term, but the ring generals, so to speak, they were kind of calling the spots, if you will, and these guys are not ready to be calling the matches. No, not at all. You know, I mean, you would describe matches where one guy would have a bear hug on for five seconds and just release it for no reason, you know? just Yeah, they did it repeatedly in that match, yeah. Both of them, right. Yeah, yeah, it just didn't, storyline make sense, you know, and that's because they were green as grass. Uh, Speaking of Green, he shouldn't be at this point. He's been around the business for some time, but I'm talking about Korsdia Korchenko, the evil Russian, with Eddie Gilbert in his corner also. Korchenko taking on Tracy Smothers here as the entire Hot Stuff International here today. We saw Bulba in the opening match against Dr. Death. Blade Runners uh, successful just a moment ago. Let's see what Korchenko can do here against the future wild-eyed Southern boy as Jim Ross and Eddie Gilbert both referring to Korchenko as Corsita this week rather than Corstia. Uh, not that it matters in the grand scheme, I suppose. Uh, Korchenko, though, with the double-handed elevated choke and then the over-the-shoulder backbreaker dropping down to his knees, going to get the win at 1 minute and 23 seconds. Uh, Korchenko, got anything, Roman? Well, just you explaining his name, just thinking like that alone says that he's not marketable if they can't get his name right, if it's hard to say. <laughs> you know, like if you're a superstar, you know, The Rock, Steve Austin, those are easy words to say, but nobody knows how to say this guy's name. How can you push him? 
Yeah, and then slight little change. I'm not really sure why. Maybe I, I don't know a whole lot about you know Russian names and things. I haven't really studied them like I have Japan. But uh, maybe they, they realized the first name was incorrect and they tried to fix it here. I'm just I'm I'm spitballing. I have no idea. But uh, maybe that was the situation. I don't really know. But do you really need to do that at this point? He, one name should say it all. Korchenko. That just that sounds scary. Whether he is or not, that's irrelevant. The name that that alone it should just be to me Korchenko. And it would have been fun to see the graphics department try to put the name up on the TV because in Mid-South, they were notorious for butchering people's names. Uh, Kevin Von Erich would be E-R-I-K. You know, they would misspell people's names all the time. It would have been funny to see how they would have done Korchenko up, up, on, the, up on the TV screen. Oh, and speaking of Korchenko, Lakefront Arena, New Orleans, Louisiana, April the 6th. Another matchup on that card going to be Korchenko taking on the Birdman. Coco, beware. Oh, by the way, did I mention it's Kids Free Day there at the Lakefront Arena, guys? So buy a ticket and bring your kid. Korchenko, we're going to hear from him as well as manager hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. On the other side, we're going to hear from the Birdman. Coco, beware. Playing the harmonica. If only Vince knew. Yes, everybody's talking about Coco Beware, the Birdman, the man with a big drop kick, Corchico. But you know something, Corchico and myself, it seems like people, you don't listen. UWF doesn't listen. Nobody listens to what we had to say. We've got an open challenge to you, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You're the man we want, the North American heavyweight champion of the Universal Wrestling Federation. Well, baby, Coco Ware, you're just going to be one little stepping stone on that little ladder to the top. Uh, Corchico, I know, sir. You have something to say. All these people and Coco Beware and Jim Duggan in your native tongue. Korchenko! Bus Harajima! Chiva Americana! Coco Ware! Duggan! Chiva Americana! Kuma Sarpache! Korchenko, get ready for the bird, man. That's right. You're big, baby. You're big. That's all, because when I get you in that ring, yourself is going to fall. You understand me? Because the Birdman is smoking, and he's not going to be joking. You understand me? That Korchiko, that's right. You're in the USA, brother. You're not over in Russia. You understand me? You're not over in Russia, so you're going to have to deal with the USA boy. That's right. So here it is. Eddie Gilbert issuing an open challenge to North American champion Hacksaw Duggan to step in the ring with his Russian Korchenko. But he has Coco Beware here in New Orleans as we hear some Russian, I, I guess that's Russian, spoken here by Korchenko. Not really sure. Any Russian listeners out there, let us know. Then Coco Beware, a little harmonica music to start, as the Birdman says he's smoking, but he ain't joking. You're in the USA now, Korchenko, and the Birdman going to try to take him down, uh, no matter how big that Russian is. And just thinking like a little bit off the subject when you talked about mm -hmm. the kids get in for free. Where was that when I was a kid? I had to scrape together my lunch money, you know, and save for weeks to go to the matches. And gosh, I wish they had kids get in free at the matches here, here in town. Well, you know, you have to be accompanied by a paid adult. So they do have to buy an adult ticket mm -hmm. too. And that's where I would have been screwed Roman. Cause I didn't know a lot of adults that wanted to go to the wrestling matches back in that time period, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It would have, it would have been hard, but man, just, but the stuff I saw growing up was amazing and I oh, had to pay absolutely. for it and I would do it again, but it would have been fun to go for free, you know, and save and actually <laughs> eat my lunch for, with my lunch money. But right. uh, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sounds like a fun story. We'll have to touch base on that down the line. Uh, <laughs> we're going to close out this edition of UWF TV, though. New tag team champions, Luke and Butch, the Sheep Herders, with Jack Victory in their corner, taking on the team of Ricky Gibson and Dr. Death, Steve Williams. So Doc returning for more action at the end of the program. He kicked things off, getting a win over Bulba, and now here he is back here looking for maybe some revenge against the evil anti-American New Zealanders. And the Herders lay it in on Ricky Gibson early on, but Doc tags in and unloads on Luke, plows him over with a big tackle, and the babyfaces take over control until Gibson running the ropes into a cheap shot knee in the back from Butch out on the apron. Gibson then dumped outside and nailed by the flag bearer Jack Victory on the floor as well. As Dr. Death, he finally has enough of the cheating and rushes in, leading to a four-way melee, and then Jack Victory attacking for a three-on-two and a blatant disqualification here. So the good guys, the baby faces, Gibson and Doc, picking up the DQ win three minutes and 52 seconds as Gibson is tossed to the floor yet again and the heels begin to triple-team Dr. Death when Terry Taylor arrives, of all people, and finally Gibson back inside as well for a three-on-three brawl as we're out of time, pal. So there it is, uh, ending the show on a DQ matchup against the Sheep Herders. Kind of odd with Ricky Gibson in the match, but pretty cool here. Uh, Terry Taylor pushing himself into the feud with the Sheep Herders and Jack Victory to close the show. And hey, a hot brawl to end the event. And the Sheep Herders, the new UWF tag champions, which means they have been champions in 382 countries now or whatever whatever the story was. But I thought it should have been Doc and Taylor against the Sheeps. And just considering that they announced Doc and Taylor last week were going to be part of the Crockett Cup as a team, right? why not put them in against the Sheeps? You know, but it was exciting when Taylor ran down. You had your three-on-three. They went off the air. You know, Katie bar the door, like we talked about earlier, wrestling phrases. It was excitement, but me personally as a fan, I would have loved to see Doc and Taylor versus the Sheeps instead of Doc and Ricky Gibson. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I think having Taylor run, you could argue that having Taylor run down was also a pretty fun spot. So I just don't understand the Ricky Gibson in this match. I also don't understand why Doc worked the opener if he was working the, the, the final match as well on the same episode of TV, but it is what it is. I'm, I'm nitpicking there, but it was still a fun little segment either way. And the storylines are going to go on there, especially uh, Terry Taylor now involved in that situation. As we roll on to March the 30th and power pro wrestling hosted by Jim Ross. And we start off with a matchup from Houston back on February the 28th. It's the Sheepherders picking up a win over Ricky Gibson and Tracy Smothers. Ricky had the Gibson leg lock applied on Butch Miller, but Luke off the top rope onto Gibson, Butch rolling on top, and the Sheepherders going to steal the win in four minutes' time there. And then one quick soundbite here for Power Pro this week. Again, the Lakefront Arena, April the 6th. I think I've been told that it's Kids Free Day, Roman. Eddie Gilbert bringing <laughs> the Blade Runners to town to take on the team of Brett Sawyer and Dave Peterson, we're going to hear from both sides. I know Miss Bunny be so proud of me. Miss Bunny will be so proud of you guys. So guys, guess what? Finally, some competition. Finally, some men with some recognition and a name have signed on the dotted line across from the Blade Runners, Rock and Sting. And who are they? The Brett Wayne Sawyer and Dave Peterson, a tag team who have been almost undefeated in this area since they got together. Well, people, we want you to know 
We don't care if it's Pierce or Sawyer, if it's the Chief Players, if it's Davey Austin, Dr. Depp, if it's Terry Taylor, Jim Duggan, bring them all on because we're going to run them, right, boys? Right? Tell them! You know, Blade Runners, I guess we're supposed to jump up and down and be real happy because we have to get in the ring with you guys. You know, anytime you get in the ring with two guys that big and strong, you take a chance of getting hurt. But that is our job. That's our job to get in there, risk getting hurt. But see, it's time for somebody around here to teach you guys a little lesson in etiquette, a little bit of manners, a little lesson in wrestling. And we're just the two guys that are going to do it on our way to those belts, right, Brett? You know, Dave and myself have been doing a lot in the past, and you know we want to do a lot, in the, a lot more in the future. But let me tell you something, Blade Runners, you are big. I give you the credit where credit's due. You are mean. But the support the fans has gave us, the letters we've been getting, you know, our heart's just as big as you are. Blade Runners, believe it or not, Dave Peterson and Brett Wayne Sawyer, we're coming to get you, brother. And with the fans' help, we're coming. So Hot Stuff now calling the Blade Runners Flash Sting. And mentioning the mysterious Miss Bunny here again this week, his benefactor, Bunny Proud of what Eddie has accomplished thus far as a manager. And then on the other end, Dave Peterson halfway shoots here, talking about getting hurt when you get in the ring with guys like the Blade Runners. Uh, but they need to beat the Blades in order to get to that next step. And as uh, apparently Peterson and Sawyer looking for a tag team title shot. Yeah, and to mention Bunny again, like where were they going with this? You know, they, they mention it and then they just basically drop it and then they bring it back up and just kind of odd, you know, to throw something out there like that and then do nothing with it. You know, I was wondering if it was just me. Maybe I missed it somewhere uh, throughout these episodes, but I agree because you hear him bring Bunny up and then there's nothing for a couple weeks. And then she, he mentions her again and then there's nothing for a couple weeks. And here she is again, this Miss Bunny. Well, I'm going to be going to the event in Charlotte, a convention there, and Baby Doll's going to be there. Maybe I can finally find out what was in her photos, and I'll I'll get to the bottom of some of these wrestling mysteries if I can. Oh, the Baby Doll fo- photos. Very cool. Yeah, you let me know about that, Roman. <laughs> if you get copies, let me know. Yeah. So uh, we go on. <laughs> Throwback to New Orleans Municipal Auditorium. We see a matchup with the Fantastics, scoring a win over Pat Rose and Golden Boy Jerry Gray. Rogers, middle rope splash, picks up the win there over Golden Boy Gray. Seven minutes and 30 seconds as the Fantastics are headed back to the UWF very soon. The Fantastics, you got to love the excitement that they bring to the crowd. Great workers. Uh, I know some people in the past have said, oh, they're knockoffs on the rock and rolls, blah, blah, blah. But man, the Fantastics could hold their own. When the rock and rolls were not in the territory, nobody complained that the Fantastics were on top. You know, so I mean, it's always an asset when the Fantastics are in town. And this is, you know, my take. So I am the messenger. If you want to shoot somebody, you guys can shoot me. But I've said it. I think I've said it right here on the show a week or two ago, an episode or two ago here of of Mid-South. But to me, I'm not saying that the matches between the Midnights and Fantastics were as over as the Rock and Roll Express and Midnight matches in their peak. But at the same time, I would argue that the matches between the fans and the the Midnights were possibly better wrestling-wise at times for sure. Well, the Fantastics, I think, were a little bit more athletic. There you go. But, I mean, you couldn't go wrong either way. No. And nobody outside of Steamboat, I mean, nobody could sell like Morton and get people invested. You know, when, when Morton was getting beat up, you would see women in the first few rows crying. And you could hear the shrieking, you know, no, Ricky. I mean, he got a reaction out of them. They both. Both teams brought something to the table, and you couldn't go wrong either way. Yeah, and that's why I loved both feuds, both matchups against the Midnights, because like you said, 
if you ask me which match I'd rather watch, I would probably say the Midnights with the fan response as well, because investing all of that emotion into watching those matches meant more than just watching the great wrestling. And, the, and I'm not saying the Fantastics weren't good at selling and doing all of that as well, but you're right. I think the Rock and Rolls brought more of the emotional to the table. And meanwhile, the Fantastics, like you said, more athletic, maybe a few more wrestling moves in the match. But either way, you can't go wrong. Both were tremendous feuds and two of the greatest matches, you know, whenever you put them in the ring throughout all of the 1980s and, and moving forward. Oh, just classics. Classics. Been any territory, whether it was the Mid-South, UWF, NWA, where, wherever they went, you know, it just you could not go wrong with those combinations of the Midnight's Fantastics, Midnight's Rock and Rolls. Yeah, love all those teams, love all those matches. Just want to be clear. I want to clarify that. I'm not saying the Fantastics were great and the Rock and Rolls were not. They both, like you said, brought their own things to the table, and they were both tremendous, especially against the Midnight Express. Both incarnations, Condry and Stan Lane as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed both incarnations of the Midnights, and the, and that was the same thing, like comparing the Fantastics and Rock and Rolls. A lot of people, which Midnights were better, depending on kind of what you were into. You know, Stan Lane, a little more flamboyant, a little more showy. You know, Condry, more of the workhorse. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're into tag team wrestling, Fantastics, Midnight's Rock and Rolls, they're all legends. They're all, I don't know if they're officially in the WWE Hall of Fame or not. I, I don't think the Midnight's, but they all should be. I mean, if you're going to do a Mount Rushmore of tag teams, I mean, those three could definitely be up there. Yeah, if you want me to take your Hall of Fame seriously, all of those teams belong there, especially, especially uh, the Rock and Rolls and Midnights. And the Mid you're right, the Midnights and Cornette are not in yet, which is just unfortunate. Well, the whole, we won't get in a, in a yeah, tirade on the WWE Hall yeah, of Fame. But yeah, I think, I think, I think most, most people understand it's kind of a joke, you know, well, they're, they're, when, when Drew Carey's in there and Ivan Koloff isn't like, Hmm. Yeah. Well, they're in my Hall of Fame. And to me, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Power Pro rolls on and next finally airing here uh, a month later from Houston, taped back on February the 28th. It's the blow off. We've talked about it here on Power Pro for weeks. Hector and Chavo Guerrero taking on the fabulous ones, Stan Lane and Steve Kern, in a tornado steel cage match. Everybody in the ring at the same time going at it here as the Guerreros get the win after a spike pile driver on Stan Lane. Match went about nine minutes. Ends the feud, Roman, and the fabulous ones gone from the territory as the Guerreros pick up the win there. Again, that took place at the end of February, finally airing here, heading into the month of April on TV. But at least everyone who has been watching the Houston feud here on Power Pro, they get the blow off. Yeah, it's nice to see the payoff, the blow off, you know, just to see wh where it ended up. And there was a long series of matches leading up to that that were exciting, you know, because of the stipulations and whatnot. And uh, to finally see a payoff, you know, it's, it's a good thing. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the fans went home happy. And while we were just talking about these teams, so we're going to close this edition of Power Pro. Tape back March 24th at the Lakefront Arena. It's the Rock and Roll Express taking on the NWA World Tag Team Champions, Beautiful Bobby, Loverboy Dennis, the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette in their corner, and the finish going to see Bobby Eaton clobber Robert Gibson with Jim Cornette's tennis racket, Midnight Express stealing the win in about 11 and a half minutes. So they continue to push all of the teams in the upcoming Crockett Cup, and I'm not complaining when we get a Rock and Roll's Midnight Express match on free TV. No, not at all, and I've always been a fan of tag team wrestling so 
you know it's obviously going to be featured in the Crockett Cup, but to see it on TV leading up to it, uh, you know, it made me happy. Oh, for sure. And uh, we're going we're gonna to keep rolling, guys. We're going to move on to the following week now, April the 5th, UWF Television, tape back March 30th at the Tulsa Convention Center this time. Of course, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Where else? Host this week, Jim Ross, and the president of the UWF, Mr. Cowboy Bill Watts. And I had to chuckle here at the beginning of the program, Roman, because Watts refers to his own promotion as the United Wrestling Federation rather than the Universal Wrestling Federation. And I know just a slip of the tongue, but you don't get to tease the cowboy very often, so I took liberties here. Yeah, and it was fresh to Watts, obviously, because we're only a couple weeks into this, but it's something you would have figured he would have practiced saying it into the mirror a few hundred times, you know, the Universal Wrestling Federation to get it right. But yeah, it's uh, just a slip of the tongue. As uh, we head to the ring, it's Korchenko with Eddie Gilbert in his corner taking on Ricky Gibson. And Gilbert going to challenge Duggan here on the house mic to a North American title match against the Russian if Hacksaw has the guts. So hot stuff toting not only now the Soviet flag, but also a red shovel symbolizing what he plans to do by burying America with it. All righty. And it's all but confirmed at this point, as uh, apparently Korstia Korchenko has uh, underwent a name change. He is now Korsita Korchenko, uh, for those who are out there keeping score, as the match sees Korchenko with a big boot, the double-handed elevated choke, and the over-the-shoulder backbreaker drop, picking up the win in 1 minute and 21 seconds. So Korchenko, impressive this week because... He added a big boot to his repertoire. He's got three moves now, Roman. And I, I know what they're about to do with Korchenko, but I'm just not buying it. It's not working for me. Uh, wearing the T-shirt under the singlet to hide his physique or lack thereof just feels indie-rific to me. And his lack of in-ring offense is scary for the position he's about to be in. And I know some people out there, they feel some sort of forced need to put everyone and everything over if it's from a specific era, but this Korchenko thing would have been a zillion times better with someone else working the character. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, and uh, last week, Ricky Gibson was in the main event. This week, he's in the curtain jerker and uh, Duggan being the patriotic guy and, you know, fighting for USA and whatnot. Uh, I'm glad they didn't go down that road and have a Duggan Korchenko series. You know, that just would not have been good for business. <laughs> Nobody took Korchenko serious and, uh, yeah, it just, like you said, it had the right person been in there. It's kind of like in the AWA when they tried to tell us about Soldat Ustinov. And, you know, you just know, like, man, these are generic, you know, like, at least give us a badass, somebody believable. You know, Nikita looked menacing, you know, as a Russian, whether you believed he was or not, he looked menacing. He had something to him. Korchenko, I mean, I hate to say it, and I'm not trying to pick on the guy, but he looked out of shape. He wasn't good in the ring. You know, he really didn't bring anything to the table and for as many years as he's been around at this point i just expect more from him i guess and we really never see him evolve into, into quite quite a bit more than this yeah yeah that's that's the sad thing you know he's supposed to be the foreign menace and and i didn't really feel the hatred because i don't think the fans bought into it you know like if they believed he was the Russian guy right. here to destroy him. I think they would have got a little more into it. It was just kind of like, eh, this guy's no threat. And the show continues on. Bill Watts and Jim Ross talking the Crockett Cup. Once again, two events on the same day, same arena, the Superdome. Bill Watts says it's not like WrestleMania 2 where it takes place in different places. It's all at the Superdome 
April the 19th. First event lasts from 2 p.m. until 5 p.m., and then the evening event begins at 7.30 bell time until question mark. You always love that question mark, letting you believe it could go on forever, Roman, and as a fan, you love to see that. Yeah, and, and it's ironic or funny, whatever, that you touched on that, because I think we're on the same page with how Watts presented it, you know, that WrestleMania 2 was at three locations and being on closed circuit. Right. And his voice was almost kind of like, well, that's a bad thing. But our thing is good because you have to come to the arena to see it. You don't have to watch it on a closed circuit TV at different venues. You know, Watts had a very kind of condescending tone how he presented this uh, about the Crockett Cup coming. So we learned that Ric Flair, he apparently now has a bounty placed on Dusty Rhodes in order to try to prevent the American dream from wrestling Flair for the NWA title at the Crockett Cup. And uh, Arn Anderson going to attempt to collect on that bounty at the Lakefront Arena on April the 6th. Also, Ted DiBiase now out of the Crockett Cup as the Sheep Herders apparently pinned DiBiase in a matchup against Doc and Teddy. Uh, and the pre-match stipulation stated the loser of the fall was out of the tournament. So DiBiase lost the fall and he'll miss the Crockett Cup. Now, once again, in reality, he's over in all Japan. But in the Crockett Cup, in place of DiBiase, we know it's Dr. Death now teaming with Terry Taylor at just a super hard sell of the events going on at the Crockett Cup. Hey, they even mentioned Eastern Airlines, the official airlines for those outside of Louisiana. Boy, talk about selling this as a big deal. An almost WrestleMania hype job to sell this event here, insisting that people are coming from all over the country to see this event. Yeah, and, you know, you had talked about, you know, DiBiase with the going to all Japan. And, you know, when we talk more about the Crockett cup, you know, when we do our Crockett cup podcast is that with DiBiase, it all depended on who you were listening to. You know, some said it was the injury because he got hit with the flagpole. Then other ones are like, no, he lost a stipulation match. And, you know, they couldn't even really get the story right on one, why one of their biggest stars was not going to be part of the Crockett cup. Yeah. I understand why they booked it initially as those two heading in. I don't even know if they lost the tag titles. yet. I think they had just lost the tag titles or no, they were the champions because they were seated underneath the sheeps, I believe at the time, but uh, I get why mm -hmm. they were initially announced yep. together, but at the same time it would have made a whole lot better sense if we hadn't done all that uh, nonsense with all the, the shaking around of the tag teams, but I'm not going back to that. We'll wait till the Crockett cup to talk more about that. And that'll be a fun one to talk about because there's all kinds of stuff going on with the Crockett Cup. That, that's going to be a very enjoyable podcast to do. Yeah, I believe we're two episodes away. We're going to tackle another two weeks here of UWF TV on the next episode I do with you, Roman, and then in two episodes' time with you here on the podcast, we will be tackling the Crockett Cup, so I look forward to that. So you fans out there, you got a lot to look forward to. Yeah, lots coming up here. And that's not even counting everything I'm doing with Jamie right now, Jamie Ward in the Georgia Territory. Lots going on there, and that crazy wild few with the Freebirds. The dog, DiBiase. DiBiase's everywhere right now for me. He's just came in as the million-dollar man on my grenade show. It's great. And then over here, you know, he's got Georgia Championship Wrestling working with the Freebirds. He's out with the pile driver angle. And now here in the Mid-South, you know, he's riding high as well. So it's Ted DiBiase everywhere right now. You know what? Even on my Monday show, he, I'm, not, I'm not putting this over like it's a great, good thing, Roman, but he's coming in as uh, the newest member of the NWO. So I've got DiBiase on all of my shows. It's, it's crazy. Goodness gracious. If you do a review of his All Japan stuff with Stan Hansen, let me know. I'll be sure to listen to that one, too. Oh, man. That, one day, man, I look forward to reviewing some of that stuff. That's amazing. Uh, Ted DiBiase over in Japan. 
Oh my gosh, he he had great stuff. You know, it, I you would read about it in the magazines. You know, the the era we grew up in and whatnot, and you'd read the rankings and Hanson and DiBiase tag champs in Japan. Gosh, I'd love to see that. Then finally, thanks to the tape trading and DVD trading, you know, I was able to see it. But yeah, it's uh, DiBiase, just such a great talent, and like you said, he's he's everywhere. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know the word I can use here for it, but it's almost like a culture shock of sorts as far as a wrestler goes for me. The first time I saw DiBiase coming out there in the chaps, doing the Texas gimmick, and it was just uh, amazing to see DiBiase in a completely different role and and owning it. I mean, the, the matches over there were just awesome. Well, and to see him here in the UWF, you know, waving the flag sure. and, you know, Mr. USA, and, like, that, even though I – lived it and saw it, you get so accustomed to his stuff in the WWF, you know, the million dollar man, the evil guy, the sinister laugh. It's hard to picture him now, you know, looking back all these years later, like, yeah, that was the guy that waved the flag and fought for America. Yeah. I mean, he spent the last seven years of his career mainstream on television every week doing that gimmick. So it's kind of embedded in your mind, even if you know, you know, he did other things prior. So I get what you're saying. It it throws me off too sometimes. And that shows how great he was. You know, my, my brother got into wrestling later and I remember telling him about DiBiase as a baby face and he, he couldn't picture it, you know, cause he saw him in the WWF as the, as the heels, the million dollar man. And I says, yeah, dude, you got to watch. Like he was, fr- he was a great baby face. I mean, DiBiase was an absolute legend. Yeah. And it's always funny. I always laugh at the promos. Some of the ones he cuts here in the UWF, some of the ones he's cut in Georgia, he always talks about not being a rich man. You can't buy friends. Uh, just all these funny little yeah. lines. It's always something about uh, not having a lot of money or money not being, you know, the, the big thing in life. And, and then obviously what he turns into. So it's always kind of funny whenever I get into one of those promos with Ted. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> cool to see the transformation, you know, and whatnot. Oh, the irony is we roll on here. April the 5th, UWF TV, more action in the ring. Superstar Bill Dundee here with nature boy, Buddy Landell. They're going to take on the team of Sean O'Reilly and Brett Wayne Sawyer as Dundee and Landell, one of the 24 teams in that Crockett Cup tournament and no strangers to the Mid-South area. Brett Wayne, though, gets the best of Buddy Landell on the mat early on, but O'Reilly in and the heels take over. Landell with a standing dropkick. I wrote, impressive, Buddy. Haven't seen him do that too often as the heels working over O'Reilly until Sean reversing an Irish whip on Dundee, sending the superstar flying into the corner upside down into the buckles. And then it's hot tag time out to Brett Sawyer who unloads on both of the heels and lands some good-looking dropkicks. I never realized what good dropkicks Brett Sawyer had until recently. Some of the stuff I've been watching here with the Mid-South is the heels eventually take over on Brett as well. And then from there, Landell distracting the referee as Dundee comes off the top rope, which is illegal here in the UWF, off the top rope with a diving knee drop by the superstar here on Sawyer. But Brett, he manages to kick out near fall. I wrote, wow, I'm surprised the top rope knee drop doesn't get the job done here. Uh, But O'Reilly finally tagging back in, and he eats a Dundee clothesline, and then Landell coming in for the corkscrew elbow. Going to get the win, and, uh, well, he gets the win once Tommy Gilbert finally turns around here to make the count, and the heels go over 5 minutes and 41 seconds. Yeah, it's scary how much... What you review is what I have in my notes and vice versa, you know, because I, I had talked about like in this in this match, you know, what I had written down was just the old school heel 
teamwork by right. Landell and Dundee by distracting mm-hmm. the ref, you know, and doing stuff, you know, and you would, you would mention the knee drop off the top rope and, uh, but yeah, just doing stuff behind the ref's back was such cheap, easy heat to get back in the day, you know, and Dundee and Landell were great heels and, uh, yeah, this was a fun match to watch. And like you said, Tommy Gilbert, I don't know what happened. It took him an eternity to yeah. turn around and make that three count. But finally, the heels end up getting the victory. Yeah, there was no like cheating going on or anything. So it wasn't like Tommy was supposed to play distracted and didn't realize to turn around. I don't know. Like you said, I have no idea what the deal was, but it did take forever. And he finally turns around, makes the cover, and uh, Landell and Dundee go over as they head to the Crockett Cup. And then from there, Lakefront Arena. Another localized promo tomorrow night, April the 6th. Somebody say something about Kids Free Day, Roman. The Fantastics are back in town, and we're going to hear right now from Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. You know, Tommy, it's great to be back here in Universal Wrestling Federation. You know, this is professional wrestling, and on any given night, a man could be beat. Take these two opponents we got coming up. You know, you can't sell nobody short in professional wrestling. That's what the Fantastics have done. We never sell nobody short. When we go to that ring, we give 110%. And those people, 220 between the both of us. But let me tell you something right now. With those people's support and with all the drive and everything we can give out there, I'll tell you what, fellas, don't sell a fantastic short because the people know when we get in that ring, we mean business. And, you know, I'll tell you one more thing. A lot of things are happening here throughout the Universal Wrestling Federation, and the Fantastics are jumping right in the middle of it. We love the party. We love beautiful girls. All them great people out there. We're looking forward to seeing you and these two guys coming up. Brother, don't sell us short. Like I said, we're going to give you all we got. So the Fantastics are indeed back, and we'll talk a whole lot more about them in just a minute. But the show goes on for now with North American champion Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He's in the ring ready to take on Rob Ricksteiner. With Buzz Sawyer in his corner, no, wait, the Chiron now reads, it's not Rob Ricksteiner, now his name is simply Rick Steiner. So even though he's announced as Rob here, the name change clearly happening right before our eyes. Yeah, Rick Rick Steiner, that, that alone with the name change should kind of drop a little subtle hint that they plan on doing something with him, you know, that just making the name a little simpler, like we talked about with Korchenko, like... It's hard to push a guy exactly. when you don't know what his name is, but now you got a nice, simple name of Rick Steiner. Yeah, they kind of streamlined the name. They took the last name and made it into two words, Rick Steiner. Simple as that. And like you said, they didn't do it with Korchenko, but they did it here with Rick Steiner. Right. And uh, I don't know about you, but I would have liked to actually seen the Doug and Rick Steiner match. As we'll talk about, it, it ends up turning into an impromptu Doug and Slater match. Me too. I was pumped for it. And I kind of saw ahead that he was getting in the ring and doing something with Slater. I assumed it happened after this match. So when I went back and actually watched the show, I was kind of bummed out here because I really didn't remember this uh, from watching this years ago. Uh, but like you said, we're getting ready to see Rick Steiner get in the ring with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, which would have been awesome. But instead, Dick Slater interrupts yet again uh, before the matchup even can happen, pointing out to Duggan that Hacksaw, he never pinned Dick Slater for that title, referring to Duggan as a closet champion if he refuses to defend the belt against Dick Slater right here and right now. So Slater, he's dressed in street clothes, but he wants that matchup right now. And apparently, I guess, we have an impromptu match, I think. Sawyer and Steiner exit the ring to the floor as Dick Slater jumps Hacksaw Jim Duggan, leading to North American champion Duggan taking on Dick Slater. I'm still not sure if this is an actual match or not, Roman, but Slater quickly removing his cowboy boot and begins beating Hacksaw down to the mat with it. 
pummeling Duggan with the boot, and clearly no match here, I wrote, uh, as the referees Carl Fergie and Tommy Gilbert pull Slater off of Duggan, which allows Hacksaw time to recover and deliver that three-point stance into the spear. But Duggan, he even drops down to make the cover, I wrote, question mark? And even weirder, one of the referees, they look like they're about to go down and make a count. So is this a match or is this not a match? I'm very confused here. When all of a sudden, Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner attack Duggan from behind. And just when it looks like it's going to be a three-on-one ordeal, it's Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Terry Taylor out to even the odds and clear the ring of the heels. So Hacksaw, with a great crowd response, as Bill Watts and Jim Ross say hello to Police Chief Duggan, up in Glens Falls, New York, which now picks up the UWF. Fun way to get that over on TV. Yeah, and the fact that Slater was in the ring, I'm surprised Watts didn't send out the SWAT team to hit him with a bunch of nightsticks or something, you know, since he has such a, a vendetta against Slater. But yeah, this is an exciting little segment, you know, with Slater taking his boots off and hitting Duggan with it, and then Duggan hitting the spear. Everybody runs in, and then, like you said, the, the segue to interviewing Duggan's dad and oh yeah now we can be seen in New York you know it's good good publicity to announce that your Universal Wrestling Federation is expanding it's no longer just the Tulsa market or you know the Arkansas and whatnot like we're going across the country now we're going to the East Coast and people in the East Coast are familiar with Duggan you know he wrestled there in the late 70s early 80s as an enhancement worker or whatever he you know from Glen Falls and whatnot so it's good that they're able to see their hometown hero. You know, now that you mention it about Bill Watts getting the police out here again, I'm kind of surprised that Dick Slater didn't quote unquote win the belt here only for Watts to tell him, no, no, that match wasn't an actual match. So we're giving the belt back to Doug and <laughs> screw him over one more time. Seems like something they would have done at this point. I guess, I guess Bill didn't think of it fast enough. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad they didn't do that because we probably would have had to sit through another tournament. Oh, 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 tournament. No. And here we got the Crockett Cup coming up. We're shilling the Crockett Cup. Well, that's over, a different type of tournament. Of, there you go. Thank you. Oh, man. That's a different type of tournament. Oh, boy. Here we go. Great piece of video coming up here next, Roman, at least in my estimation. We learned that yesterday, Joel Watts was called to one of those now famous UWF press conferences at the Sheraton Hotel lobby. But this time, it's not Dick Slater calling the press conference, but rather tag team champions, the Sheepherders and Jack Victory. As Joel wants to talk the controversial title change, The Sheeps dismiss it, however, as Watts then asks Jack Victory why he is aligning himself with the New Zealanders. Well, isn't it obvious, Joel? They're winners. Butch Miller says it took many years to find themselves a yank they could trust and didn't have a yellow streak down his back, referring now to Jack Victory as their corner man. Victory, though, noticeably, I guess you would call it dressed up here, he says he's expecting to see his girlfriend, and he hasn't seen her in a month. And then, oh, It gets good now, Roman. In comes Jack's woman through the front doors of the Sheraton. The camera shows a pair of legs and heels walking in, greeting Jack Victory as we scroll up her body to see a very tall woman. Six feet, four inches has to be with a mohawk known simply here as Max. Of course, Mad Maxine, Lady Maxine, if you will. Joel Wants wants to talk with her but she says she hasn't seen Jack in a while, and they, they have a date as she pulls Jack Victory away from the interview here. But I can't begin to put over the fucking mannerisms 
and the response of the sheep herders throughout this segment. You can call this a comedy segment if you want to. The herders sure sold it that way. But uh, I'll openly admit, having not seen this segment in 20, maybe 25 years, I literally laughed out loud twice during watching this vignette because of Luke and Butch. And I never fully laugh at anything wrestling related anymore. And I certainly don't laugh at anything Bushwhacker related, but God bless the Sheepherders here. They sold meeting Lady Maxine for the first time. So awesome. It's hilarious. And you guys have got to go out of the way to see this. I posted it on Twitter. I posted it on Facebook and uh, maybe I'll post it on YouTube as well. But the woes and the yays and some familiar Bushwhacker-esque facials from Luke and Butch. They could have had a TV show. Their timing and response was impeccable in this segment. And at that time, it was uncharacteristic for the sheep herders to react yes. that way. You know, that's you, why I laughed. You got used. Yes, I mean they were the bloodthirsty. We hate America. Blah blah blah. When you see them in the WWF as the Bushwhackers, you kind of got used to the Three Stooges routine, and you know, and licking the kids' heads, whatever. And you know, that's just how they were—the goofy guys. But back then in 86, their facial expressions, when they look into the camera and just like absolute disbelief, I just walked in, you know, Ray nailed it. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. And I don't know if that's what they were going for, but it sure was funny. It was funny and out of character for the Sheepherders to react that way, which made the segment even more uh, gold, if you want to call it. It was, it was, it was a fun thing to watch. If anybody goes and watches this and they've never seen the Sheepherders and they don't know what they're all about and they've only seen the Bushwhackers, they're going to watch this and they're going to say, I don't see anything different from the normal. But that was the entire point. And I thank you for pointing that out, Roman. Up until this exact segment, they had always been serious, bloodthirsty, evil heels, the foreign menaces, if you will, the, the anti-Americans, as we've talked about for weeks now here on the show. And then out of nowhere, like you said, I don't know if they were intending to be funny or not, but the facials they make, the whoa and the yay is their responses to seeing Maxine rather than saying actual words. Uh, Butch and Luke staring at each other and Butch kind of doing that bobblehead back kind of the stuff the Butch records always do. But doing it here in 86 is heels. I, I, like I said, I laughed out loud twice. I just wasn't expecting it at all. I guess I'd never really noticed it or paid attention before. And man, it, it got me good. I loved it. And Ray, I'm, I'm sure you were a lot like me back in the day of buying wrestling magazines. Sure. and. Back in the day, I mean, the sheep herders were always in there. They would have color photographs of them against the fabulous ones in Southwest Championship Wrestling where they're bleeding, uh, you know, or they're hitting Stan with the flagpole or, you know, every picture, it seemed like you saw the sheep herders was bloody, you know, them in Puerto Rico and the World Wrestling Council. Yes. And so to see that smile and the goofy look with the eyes and them like, <laughs> what's going on? I mean, it just. We can't emphasize it enough. It was so out of character, which made the segment even better than it, better than it was probably intended to be. Yeah, I loved it, and I was kind of bummed at the same time because I'm like, man, you guys just killed your heel character for me because now this is all I'm going to see. I'm going to keep looking for this. Whether they do it or not is irrelevant, but yeah, I just I really enjoyed it way more than I, I was expecting going into it. So, Well, luckily for us as fans that was basically just that segment. They went back to the barbed wire match, you know, them and victory versus fantastics and Taylor and a barbed wire, you know, they went back to the more hardcore serious style, but for that little five minute segment or whatever, it was kind of nice to laugh with them. Well, hopefully the sheep herders get back serious here real quick guys, because 
We have one final segment left here on the show for UWF this week. This time, it's for the UWF Tag Team Titles, and it features the return of the Fantastics. Yes, it's going to be UWF Tag Team Champions, the Sheep Herders, with flag bearer Jack Victory in their corner, taking on the Fantastics. And while we all knew they were headed back, but talk about a return. The former champs, the Fantastics, are back, and right away, a shot at the Herders Tag Team Titles. And here they are, from the City of Angels, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. They've got the American flag with them here, hugging the ladies, of course, and I jam out to ZZ Top's sharp-dressed man as they enter the ring. As the match gets going, the Fantastic's going to start off getting the crowd hot by controlling the Sheeps and sending them bailing as we take a commercial break early on. Great overselling by Butch, by the way, on the floor again. Uh, kind of like acting as if he was going to be thrown over the railing after taking the bump out of the ring. Just good stuff. I wrote underrated are the herders here as heels. Yeah, yeah. They, they were a very solid team. And there was a reason that they were in demand for so many years for their style and everything. They were they were really good together. I really w- love watching them here because they're not bleeding every match like they did in Puerto Rico and maybe a few other territories, like, like in Memphis, Luke and Jonathan Boyd and things. But they're getting out here and they're getting the job done. They're selling, they're taking bumps. You didn't see that a lot as the Bushwhackers taking bumps, but not just that. I'm watching them as they take bumps. They're bumping right up to their feet, which is, you know, a whole different thing than just taking a bump. You're actually popping right up too to feed into the guy for another spot, which it keeps the match flowing. And it's just like watching a completely different team, not just from heel to baby face or from evil uh, New Zealander to comedy goof Bushwhacker. But just the wrestling itself, just very different. They're they're far more mobile here in 1986 than they are by, like, 1990. Oh, without a doubt. And then, of course, you put them in. You know, we've already sung the accolades of the Fantastics. You put them in with a solid tag team like the Fantastics, just great chemistry together, those two teams. So we go into the commercial break with the Fantastics in control, and then back to the action here. Fantastics still in control, and drop kicks all over the place, sending the Sheepers back outside once more, but things finally begin to slow down and the champion's going to take over on Bobby Fulton here, but Bobby makes it to his corner before any serious damage can be done. Action continues on with the Fantastics. More fast tags puts them right back in control on top of Luke Williams. Tommy Rogers finally, though, finds himself in the wrong corner and the little double teaming allows the herders to dump Tommy this time out to the floor and in to the steel railing. And then we see Bobby Fulton over to check on Tommy on the outside, who is now past the guardrail, laying in the crowd, trying to collect himself as we head into yet another commercial break in the match. And then we're back for the final segment here. Back from break, Tommy Rogers getting back in the ring as the Sheep Herders continue their assault, eventually stomping Rogers back down to the floor yet again. But Rogers trying to make it back inside. The Herders continuing the onslaught, dropping. Tommy across the top rope from the apron and ramming his head into that steel railing, perhaps looking for a count out here as the tag team champions. They're not trying to pin the Fantastics at this point in the match. They're just trying to keep the belts. There's something that I'm kind of surprised that they didn't on commentary mention more like that these two teams will be in the Crockett Cup or if you think this is great, you really need to go see the Crockett Cup. You know, I mean, nowadays they would have said they would have said order the pay-per-view. But, you know, this would have been a great selling point, you know, a great infomercial for the Crockett Cup had they chose to go that way. It makes me wonder how much money what the cut was for Bill Watts to put over the Crockett Cup more 
than his own UWF tag team titles being on the line here. Because you make a great point. I mean, these guys are involved. They're big-time teams. They're representing your company as well. So it, it would make sense to really put over the Crockett Cup, Cup strong here, and they, they don't really do that. Yeah, it's just something I thought of. You know, I know it's uh, 100 years later, and, you sure. know, we can't go back in time. But it's just something I thought of. Like, I was surprised they didn't, you know, not not beat it to death, but at least mention it. You know, like, if, if you like this type of excitement, then go to the Crockett Cup. And uh, you can see these guys wrestle, you know, probably multiple times because they were that good. You had to figure both teams were going to advance fairly far in the tournament. And as the action goes on here, the Sheepherders, since they've taken control, repeatedly tried to keep Tommy Rogers on the outside, just hoping for a countout uh, uh, win here this week. But Tommy, with his fighting heart, that fighting heart, he won't stop fighting back and finally makes it to the apron. Tommy Rogers dropping Butch, throat first across that top rope, and then Rogers crawls into the ring and scurries across over to make that hot tag to partner Bobby Fulton. And Fulton in a house of fire on the Sheepherders, leading to a four-way melee until Butch pitches Rogers back outside, leaving the champions, the Sheepherders, two-on-one versus Bobby Fulton. And then on the outside, we see Jack Victory putting the boots to Tommy Rogers on the floor. As it seems the Fantastics are outnumbered and overwhelmed, or so it seemed, because the champions, the Sheepherders, double-whip Bobby Fulton into the ropes, looking for a double clothesline, but from behind... Tommy Rogers off the top rope with a dropkick, sending Luke Williams into his partner, Butch. The two sheepherders collide, and Butch gets knocked down, rolling out to the floor, as referee Tommy Gilbert must have missed that top rope move from Tommy Rogers, as both herders now down, Butch on the outside, and Luke down in the ring. The Fantastic's going to follow up on Luke with a double dropkick. And then from there, Rogers suplexes Luke into position, and then Fulton running off the ropes into partner Tommy Rogers with a press slam. Rogers going to press Tommy up into the air and down on top of Luke, sort of a standing rocket launcher, if you will. Going to get the Fantastics, the one, the two, and the three. Once again, we've got new UWF Tag Team Champions, the Fantastics. And I always thought it was cool when a partner would use his own partner as part of the move. So, the, you know, the like you said, the, in essence, kind of a rocket launcher. You know, it wasn't something you saw all the time. I remember the Invaders and the WWF doing that, where Invader number one would hip-toss Invader number two onto the opponent. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're you right. Know, it was just, just something a little unique. And, uh, you know, just looking back in retrospect, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but they gave this big push to the Bushwhackers, you know, that they wouldn't sell on TV. Right. They would dominate their opponents. And, you know, you look back all these years later, kind of surprising you know that they win the titles and then have one successful defense on tv and then in week number two they're now former (laughs) champions so with the little bit that was edited out of the commercial breaks we got about 11 minutes of maybe what a 12 12 and a half minute match so basically everything other than some selling outside on the floor we got the whole matchup essentially and it wasn't the smoothest finish but the crowd ate it up and new champs just that fast like you said and another title change Quickly done from one taping to the next, as the Fantastics are definitely back in the UWF, I think it's safe to say. And you have to wonder, were the Sheepherders just transitional champions? And if so, good choice for the transitional champions in the Sheepherders, but I would like to have seen them keep the belts maybe just a little longer. Yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, 
you know, the trend continues of the titles changing hands left and right. And thankfully that trend doesn't keep happening every week. Cause you know, if the title changes hands every week, it doesn't mean anything, you know? I mean, that was one of the things about Memphis TV when you watch it. It's oh. like, my gosh, it seems like the title changed hands three times a week, you know? Yeah, sometimes so it did. What does it matter if you win it? On, <laughs> yeah. You win it on a Thursday, you lose it on a Sunday, and then you gain it on Tuesday. You know, it's like, good heavens. But, you know, it, it was excitement. It was new. You know, the title changes meant something back then. But, uh, yeah, luckily they didn't have the titles change hands every week, you know, from here on out. Yeah, and as this edition of uh, UWF-TV comes to a conclusion, we see the Sheep Herders. They don't know what hit him here, Roman. Jack Victory just waving the New Zealand flag for some odd reason. And the former champions now, Luke and Butch, throwing a fit at ringside. Meanwhile, the Fantastics are handed the UW. Well, I guess there's still the Mid-South tag title belts right here. As the crowd is going absolutely bonkers. As we have new tag team champions out of nowhere. Nobody saw this coming. And more sharp-dressed man plays. So I ain't complaining. And as Jim Ross would say... Some compelling TV here again this week in the UWF. Well, there were several reasons for the fans to be happy. I mean, one, the Fantastics were back, so they're happy about that. Two, they're the champions, so, you know, the fans are happy of who their champions are. And then three, the evil Sheepherders lost, you know, the foreign menaces lost. So, I mean, there was reason for everybody to be happy as they were going off the air. And uh, we're going to roll on one more piece of TV here this week on regional wrestling. Going to close out with Power Pro. For April the 6th, Jim Ross hosting here as it's more super hard selling for tickets to the Crockett Cup. Right out of the gate at the beginning of the program, just two weeks away, 13 days to be exact. No pay-per-view, no closed circuit, but still using a national TV program here to sell local event tickets to the Superdome. So you can't say they didn't try. No, and, and they did things, you know, with the phone numbers. You know, if you're in Louisiana, here's your hotline. If you're outside, they made everything. Like you said earlier, the Eastern Airlines, the official airline of the Crockett <laughs> they did everything they could to make this sound like it was a Super Bowl, you know, and uh, watch at the press conference. It's always been a dream of mine to see the world title change hands. So you had that feel like, oh, Dusty might win the title. I mean, besides all the great – tag team excitement, you know, we might see the world champion, a uh, new world champion be crowned. So, uh, yeah, they, there was uh, lots of things to be excited about, lots of things to promote for the Crockett Cup. And, you know, as fans back then, we didn't know it would be released on home video. You know, I, I lived thousands of miles away, and I was like, gosh, am I ever going to see this? And thank goodness, you know, it finally got released on home video, and it was just little snippets, and then – the WWE slash Peacock Network finally released a lot more in its entirety. Unfortunately, what they released had no commentary. Yeah. You know, they, which they really the kind of As far as the but... footage goes, you know, which at the end of the day, asking ye shall receive sometimes. And we got it. Like you said, though, no commentary, which is, it makes it harder to really get into, I think, a lot of the time. But at the same time, man, I, I'm just grateful that it's all out there. Yeah, yeah, me too. It, it was fun to see the marquee matchups in its entirety instead of just a two minute snippet on the, on the home video tape. But right. uh, yeah, very grateful that they released that and hopefully someday keep our fingers crossed. They'll release all of Crockett 87 and all of 88 on the network or somehow that that'll see the light of day. I sure hope so. So here on power pro this week, a couple of fantastics matches. A th- first, a throwback to the Irish McNeil days, very timely as we see the fantastics, Score a win over Pat Rose and the masked bruiser here. 
We also see highlights of the Fantastic defeating the Sheep Herders from yesterday on TV. The brand new tag team champions are Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. This week on Power Pro, we also get a throwback to Irish McNeil yet again, featuring Kamala, who clearly headed back to the territory. Kamala scoring a win over the Iceman King Parsons. I just want to stop here real quick, Roman, because I want to talk about how they would randomly show throwback matches to guys like Kamala here before they arrive back in the territory to kind of get a refresher to the fans without actually telling you, hey, he's on his way back. We just saw that with the Fantastics a couple weeks ago, and here they are back, tag team champions, and now we get a match involving Kamala. And if you show Kamala beating somebody like Iceman Parsons, it can plant the seed that your product is better than what's going on in world class where Iceman was at, you know? So maybe a little subliminal thing there with Bill yeah, Watts. I, I, doing, I was going to say, I like think that. that match was intentionally chosen by someone, you know, going through the vault there, Joel Watts likely, but uh, yeah, I'm sure that yeah, whenever we're actually going to touch on it again, as we close out power pro. So I'll save it. I'll save my point for that. Uh, but power pro goes on right now. We get the replay vignette once again of the sheep herders, Jack victory and lady Maxine. Good stuff there. And then we go off to a matchup involving the Sheep Herders with Jack Victory in their corner, taking on Brett Wayne Sawyer and Dave Peterson here. Uh, it's the Sheep Herders out they're, they're without the belts, but commentator Joel Watts says that this is coming from the Tulsa Convention Center, but I couldn't find the date on this when I looked through my results, so kind of odd. But the Sheep Herders nevertheless pummel Brett Sawyer early in the matchup, sending him outside and just eating him up in the ring. Some great heel work, very aggressive as Luke driving Brett Sawyer into the steel railing and Sawyer goes falling over it into the crowd, driving him into it so hard. And then finally Luke though, missing a middle rope elbow and Sawyer going to get the hot tag out to Dave Peterson here, but things break down into a four-way melee and Jack victory winds up distracting Brett Sawyer and referee Tommy Gilbert as uh, Dave Peterson coming off the ropes with his Thez press finisher onto Luke Williams. But Luke catches him long enough for Butch to slug Dave in sort of a heart attack looking move, a uh, great heel counter to Peterson's Thez press and uh sheep is going to steal the win in five minutes. Fun little TV match. I thought. Yeah. The sheep herders, you know, we've talked about how great they were. You see them on TV and, and it was nice to see them against a competent team, you know, Sawyer and Peterson could come off as a type of team that might be able to pull the upset, you know, right. they're viable uh, opponents, I should say, you know, and uh, yeah, it was it was fun to see. And uh, as you said just a little bit ago, uh, I don't think it was an accident that Iceman Parsons was chosen uh, the feature matchup with Kamala there, scoring the win over someone working right now in the Dallas territory. Because in the main event here, since he's now featured as part of the WWF, this week's Power Pro main event, it's Jake the Snake Roberts doing a job to hacksaw Jim Duggan. Bill Watts is North American champion. Bill Watts on commentary for this one. Going to make sure he gets it over the way he wants to. And instead of burying Jake here, I was kind of surprised because you know the Cowboy, but Watts, he knew he knows Jake just left the territory as a top talent. So he actually puts over how tough Jake was or is and how that makes Duggan an even bigger star when he scores the win here over the snake. Yeah, it was nice that he didn't bury Jake. Jake was still fresh in people's minds and they know he was over. The fans know how great he was. And if you just go on, on the air and Hey, this guy's a bum and blah, blah, blah. All (laughs) of a sudden it makes what Duggan did mean nothing. Right. But if you put Jake over like he did, you know, Hey, Jake's tough as nails. You know, he was one of the best wrestlers we had in the territory and 
Duggan's got a hard-fought victory. It makes Duggan look better. It makes the North American title look better as well. And I think Watts is catching on to that because remember in years past, he would post videos of Mike Sharp, you know, slamming and pinning King Kong Bundy as Bundy's uh, going into a matchup with Hulk Hogan or whatever. But time has progressed here into 1986. He's already mentioned that Dick Murdoch is a former WWF tag team champion. And now he's using Jake here as a top star. Of course, he's doing the job to Duggan, but still nonetheless using Jake, putting him over. And it's clearly Watts has realized that Vince has uh, power on the TV. You know, people, everybody can see the WWF at this point, or most of the world anyway. And Watts is using that to the best of his ability to get his guys over. You know, and we, we've talked about many times, you know, don't insult the fans' intelligence. I mean, we know at that time, cable has taken off. People from across the country are watching different products and whatnot. So, you know, to assume that fans only think you're the only company and nobody can wrestle anywhere else, you know, it's kind of an insult. So, you know, if you make your guy look better by saying he beat another territory's top guy, I mean, more power to you by, by doing it that way instead of just trying to bury, completely bury the competition and act like they don't exist. Yeah, and Jake, I mean, he's just left the company. He was just in the North American title fold. He was just the TV champion as well. So to bury him here, uh, Bill Watts burying him, I mean, so to do that would work against your company because that means everything that we were just watching, you know, a month and, and beyond ago, it didn't really matter because apparently – your talent wasn't good either because Jake was scoring win after win. He was the most over guy in the territory, I'd say. Yeah, and, and I always, me personally as a fan, liked when a territory would acknowledge another wrestler's accomplishments from somewhere else. I mean, you don't have to uh, go on about it for days or whatever, but to acknowledge that Murdoch was a former tag champ, that gives them even more credibility, you know? So it's like, why, why not do that? You don't have to get carried away with it, but it's okay to acknowledge somebody's accomplishments once in a while from another league. And all right, Roman, we're going to close out this edition of Regional RAS. And really quick, just some quick results here from the Paul Bosch part of the UWF territory down in Houston, Texas, at the Sam Houston Coliseum. April the 11th, going to see some quick results here, including... Brett Wayne Sawyer over Sean O'Reilly. Rick Steiner defeating Tracy Smothers. Could have been fun. Coco Beware over Korchenko by disqualification. It's new tag team champions, the Fantastics, defeating Gustavo Mendoza and Jack Victory. Chavo Guerrero going to get a win here over TV champion Buzz Sawyer under disqualification. North American champion Hacksaw Jim Duggan pinning Dick Slater. So there's that. And in the main event, Texas Tornado tag team match, Featuring the Sheep Herders, this has surprised me a little bit, scoring a win over Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Terry Taylor. So the Herders going to continue on their feud with Doc, maybe DiBiase, maybe even Terry Taylor. We'll have to wait and see. But Duggan also picking up a pinfall victory over Dick Slater down in Houston. Yeah, the Texas Tornado would have been fun to see, and then Duggan and Slater. You know, those are two matches I would have definitely circled. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued. Wanting to go to the arena to go see those. Yeah, those definitely stick out to me, but I'm kind of intrigued. Chavo Guerrero and Buzz Sawyer as well. That could have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like you said, Rick Steiner and Smothers. You know, two young up-and-comers. Had they given them the right amount of time? Uh, you know, that could have been fun. Yeah, for sure. And I do know off the top of my head, I know Chavo and Buzz, this one ended, ended in a disqualification. They're going to come back at the next one. So we'll talk more about that as well. Maybe another mini feud here down in Houston. But for now, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of Regional Wrestling. Another two weeks of TV in the book. Hopefully we can knock out another two weeks next time, Roman. 
And then in two episodes time, we'll be back with Crockett cup 86. Oh man, that's going to be so much fun. And, uh, Thanks again, everybody out there for listening to us and the support. And Ray, I had a blast as always. It's always a good time to get with you and uh, do some recording and talk about the UWF. Absolutely, Roman. I know you're a busy man, but I've already got my research down and I've already reviewed the next two weeks of TV. So the next time you're available, whenever you can get uh, find some time in between some work, uh, I'm here, brother, and we'll knock it out and we'll continue this voyage through 1986, through Crockett Cup and beyond here in the UWF. Yeah, I can't wait. And, uh, you know, I know I've said it before. don't mean to sound like a broken record, but it gets better and better. So stay tuned, fans. That's right. So once again, I just want to thank you, Roman, for being here again this week. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. All right. And that's going to wrap it up here this week for Regional Wrestling and the Mid-South Wrestling 86 Project. I want to thank guest co-host Roman Gomez once more. And, of course, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Going to be back soon with more Mid-South 86, more Georgia 81, as the good times continue to flow here on Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories.